Father, speak to us even that still small voice of calm and mold us and shape us and conform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, for the glory of your name. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them. We'll be looking at our reading from 1 Corinthians this morning, focusing on the first few verses in, chapter, in our reading from chapter 1, especially verse 10. And we'll be looking, we will be looking at 1 Corinthians over the next few weeks until the Feast of the Transfiguration, which is the Sunday immediately prior to the start of Lent. The obviously fictitious story is told that there was once a man in San Francisco walking along the Golden Gate Bridge, and he saw a second man about to jump over the rail of the bridge. He stopped him and said, surely it can't be that bad. You know God loves you? And the man about to jump got a tear in his eye. He said, are you a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu? The other fellow said, I'm a Christian. Me too. Are you Protestant or a Catholic? I'm Protestant. I am too. What denomination? Well, I'm Baptist. So am I. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. That's a miracle. I am too. Are you Northern, Baptist, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? I'm Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reformed Baptist? I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. Me too. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region? I'm Northern Conservative ba Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. So am I. Are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1897 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And the other guy said, die, heretic, and pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> Sometimes, actually often, we as Christians can split hairs in those kinds of ways. Now, please understand, don't ever let it be said that your rector doesn't think that doctrine is important. Doctrinal correctness and right doctrine is incredibly important. It is essential. The idea that some people have, oh, you believe in Jesus and I believe in Jesus. That's all that matters. And go on happily ever after. Really, there is more than that. You understand that Muslim terrorists believe in Jesus. They believe he was a prophet. It is right belief in line with God's word about Jesus. And we have to guard against any sort of what I would call sappy ecumenism. I believe in working with other churches, other denominations. This Friday, the March for Life, especially with the large presence of our Catholic brothers and sisters, was a good example. But a sappy ecumenism that glosses over significant theological differences is hugely problematic. We also need to be discerning about what levels of doctrine or doctrinal agreement are necessary for various types of coordinated activities and shared ministries. What one believes about the Trinity 
and the deity of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ is alone the way to the Father, the only right way to relationship with God, those are foundational bedrock truths. And that is very different than, let's say, um, folks within the Orthodox spectrum of belief that lean more Arminian or more Reformed or Calvinistic or on the Calvinistic side to throw out some terms, whether you're an infralapsarian, you believe in infralapsarianism or superlapsarianism. We need to parse those things out. They're not all of equal importance, right, Mother Valerie? <laughs> but we need to be discerning about that. And we need to also understand that we are called to work together as believers here at All Saints Church and with other believers in our community who are true believers across denominational lines, who believe the essential truths of the gospel. The divisions we read about in 1 Corinthians 1 may have had a doctrinal component. Actually, they did without a doubt. However, however they were also about personalities, about perhaps the differences in approach, personality, and preaching style of key godly leaders in the early church like Paul and Apollos and Cephas, who is Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic name for Peter. It means rock in Aramaic. Peter comes from the Greek word Petros, which means rock, obviously, in Greek. It is not that these leaders had somehow interjected themselves into or were actively involved in what I would call this Corinthian mess. Rather, their names had been used to gain power in sort of a sloganeering or political sense. And particular individuals were abusing the names and reputations of these leaders to try to sway people within the Corinthian church to their view or to their camp, adversely affecting the entire, the entire Corinthian church. <clears throat> Where our reading picks up in 1 Corinthians this morning, St. Paul has become aware of the divisions in the church of Corinth. And ironically, he's become aware of these things from someone who was most likely not a part of the Corinthian church at all. And as many commentators and New Testament scholars think, most likely was not even a believer. Verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. And that raises an important point right from the outset. When quarrels and infightings in churches become known in the secular world, in the community at large, it does incredible, often irreparable damage to our witness to the community and to the world, and it brings reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. This is in part why Paul writing God's word further along in 1 Corinthians specific, specifically forbids Christians, believers, to sue one another in secular courts of law. It is off limits. So through Chloe's people, Paul has received a picture of the true condition of the Corinthian church rather than the picture apparently they were trying to paint to him and their correspondence to him that led up to the writing of this letter. The picture they wanted him to have that all was well. How does Paul approach or confront the problem? Well, he begins by appealing to them, not in his own name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul probably realized that to appeal in his own name in light of the circumstances had potential to be disastrous in this situation. Even if he was appealing to them in his own name by virtue of his legitimate authority as an apostle. It would have been a mistake because the divisions, among the divisions was a faction claiming to represent his distinct perspective and theology over and against the other factions in the church. They were using Paul against the others. So Paul makes his appeal in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because this is the true basis of their unity. Like ours, their unity comes from the reality that they belonged to Christ, that they've been baptized into his name. Not Paul's name, not the name of Apollos, not Peter's name, and not even in some factionalized way in Christ's name. Because here Paul confronts the faction as well who says, I follow Christ because he sees through the facade. Because he sees that theirs was a boasting and an arrogant spiritual elitism which was just as carnal as the mindset and the attitude and the perspective of the other factions. I think many of us have run into people over the years who in some sappy or hyper-spiritual way, um, well, I'm just doing the will of God. I'm just honoring the Lord. And all the time they're building factionalism as they go. Paul urges and calls and challenges them to true God-given unity. And he highlights this unity in three specific ways in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First of all, he says that all of you agree. This can accurately be translated that you, all of you, that you may all say the same thing. The Corinthians were saying different things. Things motivated by personal agendas and personal desires, not what was best for the body of Christ. Things that were contrary to the essence of the gospel and the mission of God through them in the world. And we need to guard against that as well. That we work for, toward unity, true God, not superficial, but true God-breathed, spirit-endued unity as a people of God, not parties or factions with their own agendas, not personal agendas, not factionalism, not building silos around ourselves or our areas of responsibility where somehow we don't take into account how what we do and what God has called us to do impacts other areas of life in the ministry in this church or in the broader body of Christ. That all of you agree that you all say the same thing, that the message that is spoken is the word of the cross, is the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Second, he says that there be no divisions among you, that they not continue in ways of speaking and behaving that tear the community, the body of Christ apart. He's not saying that they've been truly torn apart yet at this point, but they are on the cusp of it. They are at the point that the risk is very real and legitimate. And if they continue on this path, they, and if we continue down a path like that ever in our lives, will be the cause of the church of Jesus Christ being ripped apart at its very fabric, seeing the local church torn to pieces in a way that dishonors Christ. 
In just a few weeks, the Pro Bowl will be aired on TV, and I don't watch it because it's an absolutely useless football game. Um, how's that for an opinion? But the Pro Bowl is kind of a joke. You have teams, yes, the AFC team wears one color, the NFC team wears another color, but every player also has what on his head? A helmet, which is the helmet of the team he regularly plays for, not the AFC, not the NFC, but the Ravens or, God forbid, the Patriots or the Eagles. <laughs> I got to give the Lippers a hard time with that or the Eagles, or the 49ers, or whatever, but they're wearing their own helmets team. And as we all know as well, most players don't play very hard for their team in the pro ball, do they? They don't hit real hard. They don't play real hard where they might risk injury because it's really not all about the pro ball. It's about their own factionalized team, not the AFC or the NFC. And I think that in a, in a kind of a trite, earthly way can give us a picture of just how we can act in the body of Christ. Oh, we might be wearing the team colors, but we've got our factionalized or personal agenda helmet on where, where we're advocating for division in the body of Christ. And we don't really play all that hard and work that hard for the unity and the cause of the gospel because our own agenda and what's down the road for me and what I'm projecting that I want to do comes first. That you all agree that there be no divisions among you. And then third, that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. This is really the opposite of being torn apart or being rent asunder by division. This can accurately be translated that you be knit together. How are we knit together? We're united. How are we united in the same mind and the same judgment? Well, in Mark chapter 1, verse 19, we read, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. It's interesting that the same word that St. Paul uses here for united in, in the same mind and the same judgment, that same word that is translated united is the word that in Mark 1, 19 is used when James and John are mending their nets. I grew up, as all of, most of you know, in Maryland, around the Chesapeake Bay. And in retirement, my grandfather, who lived on one of the tributaries of the Chesapeake Bay, for a number of years, did commercial fishing part-time. And that ran from February, which was very cold to be out on the water, I have, must tell you, when I was with him a few times, until May, late May, when the fish kind of stopped running. And in the winter... I would often go and stay at my grandparents' house and my grandfather would make new nets or mend his nets. And he would stretch them out across the basement of his house and you would have um, a line on one side about six feet over, a line on another side. And then you had the mesh from the net that was all in this big bag or big bundled bale that it came in. And you would pull that out. You would put it up along the line and you would take this, which is a... Um, a thimble or a needle that is used for making fishing nets. This was actually my grandfather's. He put this string on here. After he died, I, 
I got a hold of this, and I've, I keep it in my um, dresser drawer at the house. It's very special to me because it has a lot of memories attached to it. Um, but this needle with the string, and you would weave it through the holes on the netting. You do about six at a time. It was six at a time, and there were marks on the cord, so you knew exactly how far to go. And then you would tie off, and you would go a little further and tie off, and you would keep doing that on top and bottom until you had a net that was like 100 yards long. But I think what my grandfather did with me gives us a picture. Yeah, we are all these individual kind of pieces of netting and, and sections of netting. And it's Christ who weaves us together and unites us and fastens us to his truth and who he is for the cause of the gospel and for his glory. That we come together and we're knitted together with the same kind of godly, righteous, biblical, spirit-led, spirit-breathed thinking in who we are and what we do, not just as individuals, but as a body, as the church. Paul is exhorting them to the same way of thinking, thinking which only comes through the same indwelling Holy Spirit of God himself, where we have the mind of Christ. And what Paul is calling for here is unity, not uniformity, Hear the difference. Anyone, or many people, I should say, can force external, superficial uniformity on us. That happens when you go through basic training in the military. Everyone dresses the same way. Everyone has their hair cut the same way. Everyone responds the same way, hopefully to commands and directives. Everyone marches the same way. But that external uniformity does not automatically transfer to true unity of purpose, unity of heart in that setting or any other setting. And in a religious sense, uniformity is what a lot of the cults strive for, where everybody talks exactly alike and thinks exactly alike and acts exactly alike. And it's all about externals and superficials and, and someone controlling other people. But unity... The kind of unity that St. Paul talks about here takes us as the people God has created and is continuing to mold us to be with our unique personalities and giftings and skills and talents and aptitudes. And he knits us all together in that perfect picture, that perfect body that he's making us to be for, for God's purposes. St. Paul certainly wasn't opposed to diversity within unity. If you read on in 1 Corinthians, just read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He clearly affirms that God has made us all unique and gifted us all uniquely and individually as the people. And he is bringing us together. And when all of us with our unique giftedness and the things that God has made us to be come together, then we are fit together rightly as that perfect body. Their unity in Corinth, their true unity was through the grace of Jesus Christ and through his redemption. For them and for us, that means full agreement on the truth of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. Not arguing about those foundational truths. We don't argue about the deity of Jesus. We don't argue about the Holy Trinity. We don't argue 
about the eternality of hell and heaven. We agree on those essential truths. We agree on what Jesus' life and death accomplished. No parties, no variation of opinion on these foundational truths. And yet we recognize that God is knitting us together, making us who he is calling us to be together for his purposes through the heartfelt recognition that Jesus is our all in all, both individually and corporately, that Christ is all and is in all, and that it is by his grace that all of the Corinthians and all of us stand and are redeemed and are called to God's kingdom purposes for such a time as this. Demonstrating the power of the cross, demonstrating the power of the transformation that God works in people's lives through Jesus Christ, demonstrating the power of the gospel and touching others with that life. And we only will ever do that effectively as we continue to seek and strive for and guard the unity that God calls us to as his people. Not factions trumped up with Paul and Apollos and Cephas, but Christ being all in all. May God give us the grace to do that for the glory of his name. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the bond and the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, forgive us as individuals and perhaps even as a church and as the body of Christ in this area when at times we have allowed ungodly factionalism or personal agendas to override your kingdom purposes and your mission and your plan. Lord, continue to mold us and shape us and forge us more fully into the image of Jesus and align us in unity with your heart and your purposes for what you're calling us to in this hour and in the days ahead. And may it all be for the glory of your name. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.